This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, it is my privilege this morning to welcome today's guest preacher. He is the former executive vice president of International Teams, the founder and former senior pastor of Pathway Community Church in Elmhurst, and he currently serves as the president of Caring Network, a nonprofit organization that helps women facing unplanned pregnancies. He was a highly favored truck packer for UPS and is known as an uncomfortably competitive board game player. In the summer of 2020, he smoked the perfect brisket and he's been waiting for someone to ask him about it. He wants you to know that he still works out five days a week, but he can't play basketball with me next Monday because he's too tired. He's a great guy and he's married to my mom. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to my father, Kurt Wiggins. I just have to say the best part of that is that I'm Tim's dad. Yes. It's awesome. Well, good morning. It is an honor to be with you. Um, when I was pastoring in Elmhurst, I had the chance to lead a pastor's group of converged pastors in the area. And so Ashley was part of that and Robin and Tim, and we got to meet together and, and got to know them and really enjoyed that time. But what's been best, the best thing for us, for my wife Jennifer and me, is since leaving Pathway, stepping down in, uh, at the end of April, being able to come here for a while and just worship with you and... Uh, kind of sit under Tim's worship leadership and Ashley's uh, preaching and Robin's uh, teaching and preaching here. And I just, uh, I just really want to encourage you, the Lord is at work here. You know, the, the Spirit of God is present here. And, um, you know, sometimes when you're in it, you don't always think, wow, you know, what, what's, what's going on here? And just coming in from the outside for a season, I just want to encourage you that God is at work in Redemption Bible Church, and he has good things for you and, and a good future for you. So thanks for the privilege of being able to bring the word of the Lord to you today. So would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for... Uh, the opportunity to come to your word and to hear from you, Lord. I ask that you would give us ears to hear you speak and eyes of faith to see you and to respond. And may you be glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, since 2012... There's been an annual global survey that's gone out every year called the World Happiness Report. And so every year they send out this World Happiness Survey to try to assess around the world uh, the happiness or the unhappiness of the inhabitants of our planet, right? And so that's been going on now since 2012. And when it first came out, the United States came in number 11, on that report. In the most recent survey that came out this past year, the United States went down eight rungs to the 19th position. Now, what's so surprising about this, according to the researchers, is that America is the wealthiest nation in the world. And yet, among the wealthiest nations in the world, we are the only nation among those that has an increasing mortality rate. 
All the other nations have a decreasing mortality rate that are wealthy nations. And, and so the researchers, they looked at this and they were like, okay, what is the reason for that? And they found that it's due to deaths of despair. Suicide rate in America is on the increase. Drug overdose is on the increase. People that have liver disease from alcohol abuse is on the increase. And so typically, uh, deaths of despair, uh, these kind of deaths are increasing in the United States. The only wealthy country where that's happening. And so the researchers are like, okay, we've got we to understand this. And so they dig into this to try to explain why is this the case? What's going on in America that's not happening in these other nations? And so here's what they found. Listen to this, quote, Because our sense of self in America hinges on how much we are worth in the market. We expect and depend on material rewards to make us happy but they don't, end quote. What they're describing in one word is discontentment. Discontentment is the feeling of not being satisfied. It's the desire for something more to make me happy and satisfied and fulfilled. Right, and, and this... This is the air that we breathe in America, in our schools, in our jobs, in, in our homes, when we go to the store, when, when we watch things on TV or when we scroll on our phones or we go to social media, you know, we, by what we tell ourselves, if you live in America, this is our default desire. That to be happy, to be satisfied, we have to have more. We have to have better. But it doesn't satisfy. Let me just take this one step further if I can. Here's how this cycle of discontentment works. It starts with believing a lie. Right? If I have this, right? I, I have my spouse, or I have my job, or I have my car, or my home, but it doesn't satisfy the way, I, the way I really want it to, or him or her to, and so if I just had something better, if I just had something more, then I would be happy and satisfied. It starts with a lie. That's a lie. Do you know that? And so then when we buy into that lie and we indulge ourselves and, and, and we pursue that thing or that person and, and we try to get that, right? I need a new job and so I go after it. I need a new spouse so I go after him or her. I need that new phone or that new car. And, and we think if that's going to satisfy. So we get it and then it may for a while kind of feel good or, or, or make us happy for a bit. But then it leaves us feeling empty, and even guilty, and maybe even some shame. And so that leads to the next step, which is, which is this great sense of, of discouragement. Just discouragement about that, and, and because I tried this, and I went for that, and it didn't satisfy, and so I'm discouraged. And, and discouragement, just so you know, is the breeding ground for discontentment. And then it repeats itself all over again. 
that cycle of discontentment. Let me just pause here and say that this is not just how American culture operates. This is how our human nature works. It is the default setting in us as human beings to think that something outside of us or some other thing can satisfy us and and, and fulfill us and make us happy. And every one of us, even in this room, struggle with this, including myself. But I have good news for you this morning. There's a way to break this cycle of discontentment. There's a way to to break out of this cycle. There's a better way. And the answer is the contentment principle that we're going to see in this passage this morning. And I promise you this, if you follow this principle, if you're willing to to put this principle into practice in your life, that you'll be able to find peace and contentment in the situation and the circumstance that you find yourself in right now today, no matter how hard it might be. You're like, come on. All right, let me show you, right? Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the Word of God. And so if you have your Bible, open to the passage that Tim just read in 1 Corinthians. We're looking at chapter 7 this morning, verses 17 through 24. And um, the Apostle Paul is the author of the, the letter to the Corinthian church. He's the one that wrote this. And, and he went to Corinth in Greece, and he preached the good news, the healing and wholeness that comes from following Jesus Christ. He preached that message to them. And and people responded to that message. And and they found healing and and wholeness in Jesus. And and so they start to follow Jesus, and they start to obey the commands of of Scripture. And, And so then they start to have questions about things like, you know, what about this, and what about that? And so they write to Paul, and Paul gets the letter from them with their questions. And so then he's answering their questions, and and some of those questions we see here in 1 Corinthians 7 that he's answering. And the questions they're asking here in, in this chapter, at least, go something like this. I'm a Christian. Now, should I change my situation that I'm in in order to be satisfied in Christ, to be a a better Christian, to be more fulfilled and happy as a follower of Jesus? Should I change my situation or position? And, And so Paul responds by addressing various scenarios involving single people and, and widows and married people and, and, and if they're married to unbelievers or slaves or free or circumcised or uncircumcised. And as he speaks to those various groups, he applies just one principle, or if you look in the text here, one rule. Verse 17, he says, this is my rule in all the churches. Now, this is not Paul's rule that he made up, but it's, but it's the word from the Lord. God revealed to Paul this rule, this principle that we're going to look at, and so then he's recorded it, and when he goes to different churches and they have questions, this is the rule, the principle that he teaches them. And so we get to benefit from that today. And so we need to understand the principle here of contentment, to, and we need to get what it is, we need to answer three questions. First of all, what is this principle? Second of all, 
Why should we follow it? And then third, how do we do that? How do we follow it? All right, you with me? Yeah, okay, let's look at this. What is the contentment principle? Well, in this passage, Paul repeats it three times, right? This, this passage is like a, a Big Mac, right? You've got the bread, the, you know, meat, bread, meat, bread, right? So you've got the principle three times, and then you've got two examples between the principles. And so we're going to look at the principles here first. In verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him or her and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Verse 20, he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24, he says, so brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, there let him or her remain with God. Now to understand this principle, we need to be clear about what kind of call is he talking about exactly. Because calls used a number of times just in these verses. And so, you know, sometimes a person will say, I'm called to be a doctor. I'm called to be a teacher. I'm called to be a, a, a social worker. I mean, we can use that phrase, right? That's the idea of a vocational calling, right? That type of calling, vocational calling, is only used one time in this passage in verse 20. When he says, each one should remain in the condition, that's what it says in the ESV, or, or in the vocational calling in which he was called. Okay, All the other times that Paul uses calling in this passage, he means the effectual call of God to salvation in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. That's what he means when he says calling in all the other times here. It's it's the irresistible call of God through the power of the Spirit to the person of Jesus Christ that happens when you become a follower of Jesus. It's how we come to salvation in Christ. And so that's what he's referring to predominantly here in this passage. So in verse 20, He says, each one should remain in the vocational call he was in when he was called by God to salvation, right? When Paul says in verse 17, let each person lead the life that the Lord assigned to him or to her to which God called him, he's saying there, like, when you're in this position that God has put you in, this place, this situation, and then you're supposed to remain in that, you're supposed to stay in that even after you become a Christian. What's interesting, if you notice in verse 17, this is kind of an aside, but it's a really important aside. God is the one who puts us in the places where he wants us to be. Did did you know that? I mean, you know, we we look for our spouse, and we we look for our jobs, and and we, we try to find those things, but God is the one who actually directs our steps and puts us with the person he wants us to be with and in the jobs he wants us to have for the purposes he has for us there. He's sovereign in that way. And so here he's saying, let let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. In verse 24, he says, in whatever condition each was called, well, you're married, you're single, whatever job you're in, whatever situation you're in, it says, let them remain with God there. And the call there is, again, the call of salvation. So if you're in that place, you're in that job, you're in that situation, you become a Christian, he says, stay in that. 
don't need to change to find happiness and fulfillment and to be a better Christian somewhere else. And so what is this contentment principle? You're like, come on, let's get on with this now, right? Well, the principle Paul is teaching here is that contentment and peace is not found by changing your job. It's not found by getting a new spouse. It's not found, found by getting married if you're single or getting divorced if you're married. It's not found by going after the next best thing. The principle that Paul's teaching here that God's given him is this. He's saying, remain where God has placed you. Stay where you're at. God has you there for a purpose. Remain in your marriage. Remain in your job. Remain in your school. Remain in your family. Now I know some of you, probably, maybe all of us, are bristling against this. Right? I mean, I, I know. Because I bristle against it. I'm like, what? come on. I mean, who's gonna who are you telling me to do that? Right? I mean, like what? You don't know my boss. You don't know my spouse. You don't know my situation and how hard it is. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the difficulties that I'm facing in that. You don't know how hard it is. Like, come on. This is a countercultural message. Our natural tendency, our default setting as human beings is to change our circumstances when it gets difficult in order to find happiness and fulfillment. That's, that's how we're wired as our default setting. But, but listen, the supernatural response the response that's empowered by God is to remain in the situation you're in and to stay in that place because God has you there for a purpose. Now, before we move on and look at the, the why and the how of this, I just want to say what this does not mean, okay? Because you're already like thinking that, I'm sure. But first of all, this does not mean that God wants you and me to remain in an immoral or illegal profession of some kind. You know, if somebody works at a strip club and then they become a Christian, then it's probably a good thing to get out of that job, right? That's a good thing to do. Or, or, or this principle doesn't mean God doesn't care about the challenges you're facing in the place that you're in today. God sees what you're going through. God knows what you're going through. He cares deeply for you in that place. He, he wants to be with you in that. But this principle also does not mean we can never change our jobs or never change our circumstances. In fact, if you look at this passage, the, whole, the entire chapter, we see Paul telling... Uh, married, the, the person that's married earlier in this chapter, that if, an if you're married to an unbelieving spouse, and that unbelieving spouse leaves after you become a Christian, so they're married, one spouse becomes a believer, the other doesn't, and then the unbelieving spouse deserts the believing spouse, he's like, then you're free. It's okay to then change your circumstance at that point. He tells singles and widows, it's better to remain single 
Right? It's singleness is a good thing. You can serve the Lord more freely as a single person, whereas when you're married, you have cares and concerns for your spouse and family. But, but he's like, listen, if you have burning desire, sexual desire, and you can't remain pure as a single person, then, then go ahead and get married. And, and so he's not saying like universally never can you change your circumstance or your situation, but, but he's trying to say, listen, since the default setting of our nature, our, our fallen sin nature, is to try to change our situation and get out of it, he's like, as followers of Jesus, the reset should be that we remain in the situation that he's placed us instead of trying to get out of it when it gets difficult. You still with me here? Okay. Remain where God has placed you. So why would God want us to do that? Why do this? Why would he not want me to go look for happiness and satisfaction somewhere else? Well, there's two reasons here with two examples. Reason number one is in verses 18 and 19. He says, Was anyone at the time of his call, meaning salvation, already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Now, if you're a Jew and you're hearing Paul say this, you're going to be upset by this. What do you mean circumcision doesn't matter? It counts for nothing. What are you talking about, Paul? And the Jews, they took pride in being circumcised. We're, we're set apart. We're, we're the chosen people by God. And, and this is our identifying mark of that. And, and they looked down on the Gentiles who didn't have that because they're outsiders and they're dirty and they're unclean. And, and Paul's saying, like, if you're a Jew, if you're Gentile, you know, like, circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is if you're a follower of Jesus is obeying his commandments right where you're at today. That's what's most important, he says. I mean, for us today, can I just kind of bridge this to our culture? Paul, Paul would say today something like, being white is nothing. Being black is nothing. Being yellow or red is is nothing. Being an American is nothing. Being an Asian is nothing. What is everything for a Christian is obeying the commands of Jesus. Last summer, while I was still pastoring, there were race riots going on in our, our country. And the woman that was leading worship at our church, Rochelle, she was an African-American. And I remember talking to her about what was going on in our country, and, and she said, you know, I'm not surprised by how our culture is responding and there's such divide about what's going on. She says, that, that's not what surprises me. She said, what surprises me is, is how the church is responding. She says, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a black woman, but first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a Christian, 
And, and what matters is how I live and, and am I following Jesus? And, and she said, I can't get those out of order. But it seems like she said that in the church we've gotten confused by that and, and, and we've kind of made following Jesus and obeying his commands not as important as our ethnicity and our race. What Paul is saying, don't try to be white when you're black or black when you're white. That's, that's nothing compared to obeying the commands of Jesus and loving and serving others. So why should we remain in the situation where God has placed us? Well, number one is, is so that you and I can serve Jesus right where he has us today. And that we can obey the commands of Jesus right where he has us today. And we can put him on display by doing that. Can I just add this, right? Because in the, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the story in the Bible... After Jesus comes back and, and he gathers all of his people together and, and we're going to live with him for eternity. You know what it says there? It says it's going to be people of every tribe and tongue and nation, every ethnicity, every color. And it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be magnificent. And you know what puts the, the beauty of our differences on display? is being united as one in Christ and living out the commands of Scripture. And as we do that, then it magnifies the beauty of who God's made us. God has given you ethnicity and put you in a place where He wants you to be to show the love and kindness and goodness and grace of God. How's that going? Why remain in the situation God has placed you? Here's the second reason, if you look at verses 21 to 23. It says, were you a bondservant when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For who, he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of the Lord. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. He's like saying this, were you a slave when you're called by God to salvation? Then remain in that place. Were you free when you were called to God, by God to salvation? Then remain in that place. But, but notice he says even more than that. Right? Notice he says here, he says, were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. Were you free when called by God? Don't be concerned about it. Yes, you can seek your freedom if you're a slave. But his primary point is this. Don't be concerned about your, your situation and, and, and where you're at today. Don't be anxious about that. Why? Because he could have said, I want you to obey the commands of Jesus. But he doesn't say that this time. He says here, he says, I want you to live out your identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sins and died to set you free. And so now Jesus is your Lord and you are a slave to him. And Jesus is, is your master and now you're free in Christ. So your circumstance shouldn't concern you. Because you're free. You're free.
So why remain in the place where God's placed you? Because it's an opportunity granted by God in your marriage, in your career, in in your ethnicity, in your gender. It's an opportunity not to change that, but to put the identity of Jesus Christ on display in that context for the glory of God. Man, wouldn't how wonderful is that if we could just put that on display for the world to see today? How is this possible? Man, how do we do this? How do we remain in the situation God's placed us and obey him and live out our identity in Christ in that place? A few weeks ago, my daughter Maddie needed to put air in her tires in her car. And she'd never done this before, right? And so she asked me, she's like, hey, my tires are kind of, you know, losing some air. I think I need to put air in the tires. What should I do? And I'm like, come on. I mean, everybody knows what to do with that, right? And so just go to, go to a place where you can find a, a, an air pump, you know, and just put air in your tire, and then you're good to go, right? I mean, yes, we get this. So she goes to Costco, and, you know, they, Costco's great. Uh, we, I like shopping at Costco. They have free air there. You don't have to put quarters in to get air. You just pull in. They have air pumps, and so she goes to Costco, and she gets the, um, the hose, and she brings it over to her tire that's low, and she gets, it takes the valve cap off the tire, and then she puts the hose down on it, and she presses down on it, and within seconds, her tire is completely flat. What? So then she's like, wow, there's all these, these people working in the tire center. Maybe I should go ask them. And so she goes in and asks for help, and they come out, and, and they put it down, and they actually turn the valve over because on one side of the valve is how you release air from your tire. On the other side is how you actually put it on it to fill it with air, and she put it on the wrong side. Now, really, that's on me because I should have told her how to do this, right? But see, isn't this just how we go through life? We go through life thinking, man, I got to get filled up. I got to change my circumstances to get filled up. And then we change our circumstances or we change our jobs, and the next thing you know, we're, we're empty again. And we keep trying this over and over and over. Instead, there's someone right there we can ask for help. You know, the Bible says that. That God is with us if, if we're followers of Jesus. That God is with us. God. Not some Costco mechanic. God is with us. To help us. God, the creator of the universe. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise God. The one who formed us. The one who made us, the, the one who provided, the one who provided for Abraham, Abraham and Sarah when they were barren and they, they were they're too old to have kids and he provides the promised son, the God who did that. The God who took Joseph when he's falsely accused and he's thrown in prison and brings him out of that up to being second in charge in all of Egypt to save his people. I mean, God did that. God who took the, the Israelites, the, the Jews in Egypt, and they're in bondage and slavery, and, and he delivers them out of that, and he sets them free. God did that. 
God, the one who, who said, I want to be with you in the midst of your pain and suffering. And so he says, I'm going to send my very own son, Jesus, to come into the world and to be with you. To be with you in it. But then to go through it in, in a perfect way that we could never go through it. And, and then to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And then to rise again to defeat sin and death. He, he did that to be with us. And to help us go through it. God with us. Emmanuel. And then he defeats sin and death and he sends a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to be in us, to live in us, to help us. Anytime, anywhere we need it. To give us power and help and strength. See, God came to be with us. But notice verse 24, in order to live this out, look what it says here, two words. It says, remain with God. With God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's with you to help you obey him in the situation you're in today. He's with you to help when someone hurts you and wrongs you, to help you forgive them and love them. He's, he's with you when someone irritates you, to, to be there to help you not lash back with harshness, but to speak a kind word. And if you don't do that, to then go and humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. He's with us when, when you're being disrespected and, and devalued, and he's there to say, listen, your worth and your value don't come from what other people think. It comes from who I think you are and who I say you are. With God. Remain with God. A number of years ago, probably like five, six now, um, my daughter got sick, and I won't go into all the details, but we couldn't find a cure for what was going on with her, and she was in a very hard place. And we were looking for doctors and trying to find help, and it was just very hard. And on top of that, then my wife ends up having a, a rare lung disease being diagnosed at that time, and she's in a hard place. And in the church I was in, we were at a, a place we were stuck. It's just like, what's going on? We just can't get any more traction. I mean, we were, we were, we were humming along and it just, and, and, and everywhere I turned, it was just hard and I wanted out. And so I started looking for ways out. I started to send my resume out all over the place. I was obsessive with doing this. I did this for a few years and you know what? God never opened up any other opportunity. I'm like, come on, God, you see what I'm going through, and you see how hard it is, and I just want to get out. Like, certainly the grass is going to be greener over there, right? I mean, I mean, we think this, right? I mean, this is why we change churches, right? Because we think, man, this is hard, but maybe over there is better. And so we take our stuff with us, and then we're discontent there too. And finally, the Lord, by his mercy and his grace... He humbled me. Like, I want you to learn how to remain with me here. 
And he helped me. It wasn't easy. But he helped me to remain with him there and to try to obey him there and serve faithfully there. It happens by surrendering to the Lord and, and allowing him to, to be with you and to help you right where you're at today. My prayer is that whatever you're going through this morning, whatever difficulty, whatever hard place you're in, whatever challenge you're facing, that your default won't be to try to get out of it, but you say, God, would you help me remain here with you so that I can obey you and I can put your identity on display right where I'm at so you can be glorified in this situation. Would, would you help me do that, God? Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.